Welcome back, everyone, to the What's the Fundus podcast. And uh, today we are going to be talking about ocular surface squamous neoplasia, otherwise known as OSSN. So, Sarah, what kind of, I know why, but tell everyone what uh, kind of brought this to our attention. So I had a patient last week um, who I suspected of having OSSN. Um, I think they were kicked around to a couple of different doctors in the area that I was working. Um, and, you know, they had a ton of induced cylinder. Um, it was like 7.5 diopters of sill. Um, and they were diagnosed with keratoconus. Um, but after having... Um, you know, looked, evaluated the cornea. I saw a lesion that was um, sort of obalescent, inferior on the cornea, maybe 3.5 millimeters with some fine neovascularization, which I think a lot of people could have suspected was panis. Um, and then in given with the, the huge induced cell, um, anyways, this patient had gone on to get scleral lenses, um, but now I'm sending her to a cornea specialist to um, rule out OSSN. So the article I wanted to discuss today was um, ultra high resolution anterior segment OCT in the diagnosis and management of OSSN um, with a bunch of different authors from essentially Bascom Palmer where I, uh, I did my residency. Yeah, yeah. So the this article that you talk about, <clears throat> it's almost like they basically designed a device to be able to to diagnose these better. <laughs> yeah, yes, so, exactly. So to diagnose a, and and manage them. So so yeah. So how? I mean, because I, you know, it's when you sent me a picture of it you know, I kind of look at it and I think I'm like, gosh, I wonder how many, like in, in looking at this, would you say that it's a fairly classic kind of, because when I look at Panis, you know, it doesn't really have feeder vessels, um, you know, whereas this has two very obvious, very dilated vessels kind of going to it, um, you know, and, and the, the edge, the ends of the of the branches of the, uh, the the very fine vessels that are there's basically bleeding you know in it like there's real right. blotchy you know redness whereas panis is just you know these little skinny blood vessels just look like a tree is that kind of right. how you looked at it and said yeah this is not panis it was that kind of thing or was did something else kind of tip you off Yes, I think it's just along the edges of, of this particular lesion, it's the borders are so opalescent and it's almost like you you can see that that transition from clear cornea to non-clear cornea. Um, and it's so superficial. Um, but then again, it's mostly just my spidey senses went off because I had such a, a huge exposure to this during residency. So to give the backstory on this, um, I worked with Dr. Kale Karp, who um, essentially invented 
treating these types of lesions with topical therapy. So she, she will treat these OSSN lesions with, you know, there's three different options. There's 5-SFU, which is fluorouracil, interferon, or mitomycin C. And she'll put them through these sort of rounds of topical chemotherapy. But so she was the inventor of of um of using these this this treatment initially she started with interferon to to treat these OSSN lesions which are a lot more common in Florida at least that I've noticed since coming to North Carolina um and so you know they they created this this new standard of of diagnosing and managing OSSN with OCT because, you know, the gold standard is to excise it, right? You'll slop it off, send it off to PATH, and then they'll get the results back on whether or not there's, um, you know, squamous neoplasia within the lesion. Um, But so what she has done is and and other other places have done this as well is sort of adapt their OCT machines to have a higher resolution um, to be able to to notice these different transitions that are from sort of normal to abnormal or hyperreflective epithelium is the other sort of buzzword for this um, on uh, so it's called ultra high resolution anterior segment OCT. Now, would these, in your experience, <clears throat> do you think her 750 sill was from this, or could she have also had keratoconus and she had this? Yeah. So I, I told the patient, I'm like, you know, it's possible you have two things. Um, it's entirely possible that you have, you know, form first keratoconus in addition to this lesion, but, you know, that. It, the tough part is then finding a doc who is... Um, who is receptive to doing additional testing and doing a biopsy and following these lesions. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now with this particular patient. And in reading a lot about OSSN, uh, you know, where, did she have any of the risk factors of the other things, like a lot of sun exposure, it says a fair amount of the people who have this are HIV positive. Yeah. So that's always a really uncomfortable question to, <laughs> to start <clears throat> with patients where you suspect OSSN and in the room, you know, you're supposed to palpate the nodes, you're supposed to flip the lids, and then you have to say, Hey, look, I have to ask these questions, but you know, are you, are you HIV positive? Have you ever had a history of HPV or like genital warts? I usually start with sun exposure because that's a lot easier to get <laughs> yeah. into. So do you have a job where you worked outside for a long time, like a construction job, or then I'll go, then next I'll go into, okay, were you a smoker? Like all these other things. And, and then, you know, usually I'll ask if they have a, a family history of, of other types of cancers and things like that. Yeah. And so this one seemed, you know, the yours was that you showed is, is inferior, but in looking at pictures of other ones, I mean, some of them look like just really nasty looking pterygia. Yep. You know, more than anything actually, else. And so. Yeah. And actually about 2% of all pterygia that are excised are actually OSSN. And, you know, you can definitely find OSSN on the leading edge of a pterygium, which has happened before. But I think with this particular patient, I, I, I only had that spidey sense because I've seen 
hundreds of these lesions after being in a clinic that's exclusively referred these lesions, you know, so it's, it's like, once you've seen them, you kind of have a feel for it, but it's, it's tough, right? So the things that you're going to look for with these types of lesions, the, the four different phenotypes that they talk about are uh, superficial corneal opalescence, which is really what, what this particular one had is just that sort of, like, it's hard to describe other than to say opalescent. Um, and it can be, it can be very mild, um, but some sort of your, your idea might go off like, this doesn't quite look like, like panis, right? I know what contact lens overwear looks like. I know what panis is, and this is not it. It's almost like it's laying over the top of it. Um, the second phenotype would be like a more gelatinous lesion. Uh, the other one would be leukoplakic, and then the other one would be papillary conjunctival growths. So, you know, if you Google pictures of these things, you'll kind of start to get an idea for, for what groups they fall under and, and basically when you should start to have that suspicion. What's the, um, like, you know, if, if you see, you know, a squamous cell carcinoma on the lid, that can have, you know, extremely devastating, you know, kind of consequences of, you know, really having to remove, you know, the lid and the cheek and, you know, all this kind of thing. So what happens in these, not that I'm advocating that people ignore them, but in that I would imagine a significant amount of small ones are missed just because they're either tiny or they think they're just pinguecula or, you know, or just something like that. Um, what is kind of the most likely worst case scenario in these if it goes untreated? That's a really good question. Um, so there's a very low risk of metastasis, mortality, um, anything like that. So very few of these patients end up needing to have the eye enucleated or anything like that. Um, it has happened before, but the risk is really low. And that's the thing, that's kind of why it, it it goes unnoticed for years um, is because it's, they're typically not very aggressive. They are very slow growing. Um, and, um, and, and a lot of times patients don't complain about them or even notice that they're there. Yeah. It's because that's kind of my point is it's like, cause I know whenever I always get these feelings, whenever I go to a lecture and, you know, I see something that's like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, did I ever see one of those? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I get this feeling in right. the pit of my stomach that, you know, I basically just doomed someone to blindness because I wasn't hundred percent on to like what OSSN was, you know, basically. Right. So, but it, it sounds like when the lesions get large enough, you're probably going to refer them anyway, just because it's a big lesion, you know, kind of thing right. more than anything else. And right. I and guess that's the tough thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I was saying, I was going to guess that, you know, if someone, you send it to someone who also doesn't really realize what it is and just kind of like, can you do the wrong surgery for it is I guess what I'm getting at. Like if you do a, a standard pterygium surgery, thinking that it's a pterygium and you remove it and it turns out as an OSSN, is that worse for the patient? Other than the fact that they had to go through the surgery that they might've been able to get topical treatment for, you know, a topical treatment that would not be effective on a pterygium, what, what's kind of the, the downside of doing surgery other than the fact that it's surgery versus topical? Yeah. Uh, so in, in most 
most doctors do surgery, right? So I had another case in Florida where I, um, when I was out on practice, not, you know, out on my own, it was easy in Miami because you'd just be like, oh, send it to Carol Carp, the OSSN queen, right? But then when I was in a, a totally different region, I'd be like, okay. So I sent it to a corneal specialist of mine and he excised it. Um, and, and that's totally fine. Um, that's technically the gold standard to do it is just to excise it, wide margins, all that. Um, but then you really don't know if, if those cells have, you know, gone on to different parts of the cornea and really then you're just watching to make sure that it doesn't recur. Um, but you know, they usually use mitomycin C when they do the excision anyways. Um, but there's no real detriment. Yeah. Is is that they usually use MMC when they do these surgeries now anyway, to keep the pterygium from right. growing back. So, right. Yeah. So there's definitely not a gold, you know, uh, sorry, a, a, a difference, I guess, between having them get it excised versus having it treated topically. I'm really anxious to see what this new doctor does. If he, if he decides to treat it topically or, or whatnot, and I'll, I'll have to provide an update too with that patient. And, and then again, you always have that fear, you know, even though I've seen like, like I said, like literally hundreds of OSSN after I referred it, I was like, Oh, I don't want to sound like an idiot. Like, I hope it's really that, you know? <laughs> so, so you have those moments where you're, you're sort of doubt you, you, you have this uh, immediate confidence and then yourself followed by immediate doubt. Um, but <laughs> because you worry that, you know, you're going to send someone potentially driving hundreds of miles to a specialist right. to cry. And then wolf. they go, right. Yeah. It's a little bit of uh, blood vessels growing in, you know, good luck to you. Yeah. You know, put your contact yeah. lenses back put in. Your- Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So, um, yeah, I'm interested to see if he, if he does treat it topically, I I haven't worked with any other doctors that do, but, um, you know, when, when I was with Dr. Karp, she treated it just like a, um, a cycle of chemotherapy. So she would have patients do, and and she really liked five FU just because it was a little bit more cost-effective rather than the interferon, even though the interferon has less side effects, but she would do like five FU 1% four times a day for a week. And then you're off of it for three weeks. And then that's one cycle. And then she would repeat it for a minimum of four cycles. Um, But then she would recheck that OCT after those four cycles and see if it's regressed or if it's improved. Um, and then that's exactly what she did with, um, you know, if there was a larger lesion that she had to excise first and then do topical therapy. But um, it was really interesting to see that process um, because it's a lot, that's obviously a lot less invasive than, than doing a biopsy. Yeah, that's, um, and I guess what would happen is if you are wrong and it's not that, not you, you, but like the, the mm-hmm. practitioner who's starting topical treatment that, you know, if you're not getting any better after two or three cycles, it's like, okay, well now we need to do surgery. You know, right. So, so, cause, because I guess, is it not as effective? The other article I was reading that it's, you know, it, it can kind of, be confused oftentimes with squamous cell carcinoma of the conjunctiva, basically. Mm, sure. That I would imagine that the other treatments are not as effective on squamous cell as it would be on OSSN. 
or am I not correct in that and thinking that really is OSSN just a cousin of squamous cell carcinoma? I'm not sure, actually. Um, and I, I would have to do some research, I guess, into that as far as like its, its relationship oh, to, to Reading that. The first line of the introduction. <laughs> OSSN <laughs> is an encompassing term for precancerous and cancerous epithelial lesions of the conjunctiva and cornea. It includes the spectrum of dysplasia, carcinoma in situ, and invasive squamous cell carcinoma. So, so it would be a good treatment right. for those because it's all they're all part of OSSN. So, right. yeah, yeah, and I mean, and that's the thing is is we would then get a lot of residents and interns and stuff that would be like, oh, is this Salzman's module like OSSN or is this like a melanotic nevus OSSN. And, you know, it was perfect because you were in that setting and you could just send them to take a scan with the ultra high resolution OCT and you can differentiate between all those things with this special. I would guess Saltzman's aren't usually vascular. No. Yeah. I mean, or like, is it just scarring? Is it, you know, is it, crazy panis, all that stuff. But we had the luxury of being able to check that with an OCT. And and when you're in clinical practice, you just don't. Yeah. Cause you were looking at the, the resolution of our OCTs and it goes down to six microns and you need to be able to go yes. under five to be able to diagnose right. these. Um, yeah. I would guess it would still be like you were saying in the pre-show, it would still be a good, a, a good way to just gauge size. Right. Gage. Yeah. And then I was thinking about it. I was like, I really should have just done it if only just to monitor like uh, g- growth, right? Like, let's say that I saw her today and then she saw the cornea specialist and they said, no, then maybe in six months I re-image her. And if it's the same, then it's the same. You know, I, I, that's something to think about, at least as far as monitoring growth, especially for those moments where you're like, Ooh, I don't know. But I mean, in this case, it did have positive Rose Bengal staining. So it's yeah, because that was the Rose Bengal of... was the biggie, you know, for that. Yeah. Uh, whereas Panis won't necessarily have Rose Bengal staining. It won't really stain much right. at all. Um, well, I, I would think too, because even if you can't quite get the resolution, the one thing it said in that OCT article was that it was definitely, you can definitely tell the leading edge of those lesions. It goes from normal to not normal, like immediately. Exactly. You know, whereas exactly. with pterygia, it's kind of probably, it's it's this nebulous, you know, fibrous area that kind of grows into the epithelium of the cornea. Whereas this is lesion, not lesion. <clears throat> so even if you can't right. quite see, you know, the internal reflectivity of the epithelial cells, you can definitely tell what the epithelium looks like versus what not normal epithelium looks like. That's exactly right. And like in a, for, for a pterygium, it'll, so for OSSN, you, you see that, you know, like nor transition from abrupt, abrupt transition from normal to abnormal. Um, and then it's, you know, the other big buzzword is this hyper-reflective epithelium and, you know, thickened epithelium. Um, and in, in pterygia, on the other hand, you're supposed to see sort of like a area of normal thickness. It can be a little bit hyper-reflective, but it's going to have a thickened hyper-reflective sub-epithelial, uh, layer. Um, it's just, if you look at enough pictures, you're like, oh yeah, sure. I, it, it, I could see that. 
<laughs> but um, it, it's yeah, funny there, how there's... how common you you said these were down there because according to this review paper, it's like three and a half per one hundred thousand people have this. Yes. So but yes, but you know, of course, this is like a tertiary referral place. True, yeah, so we would just, get yeah. people from mm-hmm. all over the country that would be like, "Oh, I saw this doctor and so and so, and you know, in Montana, and here I am." <laughs> so I, I just had the luxury of seeing so many of them um, because she was sort of the ocular surface oncologist. Yeah. True. True. So. But we would have a lot of patients that would come from, you know, different South American countries that worked outside. You know, it was a lot of like, yeah, my whole job is working outside. Like I work in construction. This is, you know. Or on a fishing boat or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Or I wonder if it's like if you live at really high elevations, I wonder if it would matter as well. Because generally the UV is more, because generally the UV is more intense. Yeah, you know, higher true. elevations. So, yeah, yeah but I so, thought I'd just use this uh, this opportunity, I guess, just to to go over the different things about OSSN that are really interesting, and then the different types of um, of treatments that are available too. Because, um, you know, when I had that other patient in Florida, and I was like, you could go to Miami and. You know, you could go see the <laughs> the person that specializes in the world on this. And they're like, nah, I'm good. Let's just lop it off. Like, it's fine. So it, I think it's important to be able to tell people what your level of suspicion is. Um, and I was very upfront with this patient. I was like, hey, look, this is really rare, but this is what my gut is telling me that you have. So it's rather, it's better safe than sorry. Yeah. And, and and to be honest, I don't know if I've ever seen one, honestly. Yeah. So, right. I mean, I, I could have been wrong a couple times, but, um, you know, but it's one of those things that my spidey sense will be a little bit more on when I see those little, you know, those little tufts of panis, you know, in, in the right. cornea and just kind of, I don't think it'll get me to a point where I'm going to refer every little tiny bit of panis that I see. Right. Um, but you know, you just see those little, those little tiny trees of panis down at inferior cornea that would just make me wonder all the time. Right. Yeah. And I mean, best, best mode of, of tracking them is definitely just like draw a picture, right? Like most EHR systems have the ability for you to, to draw a picture if you don't have a, uh, interior segment OCT that you can just kind of image it and, and watch it with, but, um, or does it measure yeah, it with these, the they, <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, it will progress, right. If it, if it is OSSN, it will progress. So. And I would guess that the treatments are always going to be the same. So, you know, unless they're gigantic, I would imagine then you couldn't like, you have to surgically excise those. Um, I would guess. I mean, I don't know. Maybe or did you see big ones that yeah. responded to oh, yeah. topical? Oh, yeah. Huge. Um, let's see. I mean, this doesn't help our readers, but uh, <laughs> I'll, sh- I'll share the screen with you just so you can comment on. Here, let me share the screen with you. Let me uh, give me permission to share. Yeah, so I had this patient. This was one of my case presentations that we did, and we traded this one completely topically. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, for the listener, this is this is basically, um, you know, probably eight millimeters, eight millimeters circular lesion, one, and then the sublesion below it is probably about five. Um, raised top is probably raised about three millimeters, and the bottom one's probably raised about four or five off the eye. Yeah, and we can post this too on our yeah. on our website. Yeah, um, so I'll probably yeah. actually post something to the website. Yeah, so so send me a, like a screenshot of these, and yeah. I will. Um, and then this was the resolution. So I mean, wow. Yeah, that's um, it. Basically, looks totally like kind different. of a burned out. What would be kind of a burned out pterygium after pterygium removal surgery? That's what it looks like. Yeah. So that was like, that was a really good example of it just because it was such a huge lesion, but yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, just basically answered my question of no matter how big it is, then you could, you know. Topically. Yeah. That's crazy. That's really cool. Yeah. But so that's the thing is, is we would have these patients that would get, um, you know, uh, you know, so many rounds of five FU, but then you would really have to instruct the patient like, okay, you want to hold your puncta because as that mitomycin C or five FU or interferon goes into your nasal passages, it would create like scarring. Um, and so then obviously they'd have like a lot of dry eye issues afterwards and stuff like that. So, I mean, there are definitely side effects with doing it topically as well, but then, you know, it's gone. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Cause yeah, it's not like if you just remove it, and there's a little, a couple of little seeds left that you miss. This is going to grow back. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then what she would do is then after they were completely clear, you know, she'd see them back at regular intervals. And then let's say they were totally clear for, I can't remember what she did, maybe like two years or so, but then she'd kind of bump it down to like every six months that she would see them. So she would sort of expand that follow-up period afterwards. Yeah. Kind of just like classic cancer follow-up. Exactly. Yep. So. All right. Do you have any other pearls to look for with this kind of thing? Yeah. I would just say it never hurts to do a, a Rose Bengal stain. Um, the thing with Rose Bengal is um, if you use preparacane to try and moisten that tip, like you would with um fluorescein, like regular fluorescein, it gets kind of like um, sedimentary, I guess. It sort of has these like clumps of rose bengal. So the best thing to do is use like plain saline on the strip of rose bengal, mm -hmm. like create like a little puddle and then yeah. just like dip it in there several times. If you ever talk to any anterior segment specialist, they, mm -hmm. everyone I've said never uses preparacane or tetracaine or anything to stain the cornea really yeah they all basically say that you should always just use saline pop it on there they say if you need numb the eye first with just right. clear preparacane let it settle then use saline on those on those little strips but um that makes total sense yeah like carl will basically you know he'll say did you use fluoresce or did you use fluorescence <laughs> Because fl fl oh, fluorescence, fl fluorescence is oily, you know. So it's yeah. you know, and, and yeah. so so it just doesn't stain that well. So 
I've always preferred to just use just a drop or two on the um, on the on the tip of the of the of the paper, and then just let it dribble into the eye. Sure, like on the fluorescein strip. Yeah. Do you use preparacaine or do you use saline? Saline. I use preparacaine. I use Oops. saline all the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Plus some, well, plus that is a really have, good tip. Plus, some people can have an SBK reaction from preparacaine, so you kind of you, know, you can you can give them a little bit of a problem. Um, but I just kind of put a couple drops like in the sink, you know, on there, let the first couple drip yeah. off and then just spill like, you know, good things always like this. And then I just, you know, I have my fingers like dipped down and I just pull their lower lid down and just spill it into their lower mm. uh, cul-de-sac. Okay. And then as they blink a couple times and I just blot a little bit of the extra away, it just gives a perfect sheen. Perfect. It. Perfect fluorescene stain. Plus, so yeah, you you're mix... not like an animal like me yeah. and just throw on some prepare cane and yeah, whack so, it off no, into the also, room, splatter it on the wall. It also works really well because then you can put it in. Then you can put it in with lysamine green. Yeah, and then okay. you have both. You know, lysamine green takes a Very little longer cool. to absorb, so I put the lysamine green in first as they're kind of blinking and wiping it away to give themselves that awful runny mascara look that lysamine yes. green lives uh, uh-huh. gives. Then yeah. I put the fluorescein in after the fact and just use the strips, you know, with saline. Right. Yep. Yeah. It's quite a look. <laughs> but yes. Yeah. And I obviously also can't tell you the last time I've used Rose Bengal stain. So I'm sure I'd have to find. I had to search there. around the office to find this Rose Bengal. And I was like, Oh my God, I hope this isn't expired. And it wasn't, but I was so lucky. <laughs> well, the, the paper strips that take forever to expire. So, right. So they, they're there forever. Like, oh, thank God. So, yeah. All right. So I do have to ask, I was thinking of this as I was driving home today before we were recording. Um, do you have a, um, do you have any goji berry updates? Oh my gosh. I like them. They're actually really good. They're good. So how would you characterize the flavor of them? You know, you said something like a crayon raisin, and I would say it's probably close to that, but a little bit less intense of a flavor. Um, the thing I notice, notice most is like the texture because it's like a little bit chewier because it's dehydrated. I guess, but yeah, I've been putting them in my cereal when I remember, um, or like I'll, I'll have yogurt or something and I'll put them in there, but I've been telling all my patients to buy them too. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I print out the list and stuff, especially like the, the early AMD patients or like, you know, you say to somebody while you're explaining their optos, like, this is your macula. If you've heard of macular degeneration, you don't have that. And, you know, like 10% of patients would be like, oh yeah, my mom had that. Or like, right. you know, oh, yeah, my grandma had that. And you're like, okay, well, wear your sunglasses, eat your goji berries. <laughs> you go, goji berries. <laughs> yeah, I'm on board. I'm on board with goji berries. All right. Good. Good to hear. Yeah. So now you can order them. I think I will. Yes. Even though I have <laughs> zero history of macular degeneration in my family. Exactly. Like zero. Yeah. zero. All Mediterranean, like no one has macular degeneration in my family. So, but got to thicken that. You know? Yeah. You know, got to thicken exactly. that. Exactly. Macular pigment layer. So. Yep. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, yeah, this was cool. This was one that really I just had no idea about. So it was very cool to be able to, uh, to learn and do 
um, expand my knowledge a little bit. So thank you. Yeah. And just as a, uh, like, I guess, disclaimer for the podcast, I am in no means an expert on OSS, <laughs> but <laughs> I at least have, have seen it enough times to, to relay this information to, to our listeners. Well, and compared to most of the people probably listening, you are, you have probably seen you know, an infinite amount more than any of any of us. Yeah. So unless they have also done a residency at Bascom Palmer. So <laughs> or yeah, practice exactly. or practice for lengths of time in Mexico or South America or northern South America. Right. So either for either sure. of those for sure. So yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. Well, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Indeed. We'll talk to you all later. <laughs>